Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Are you really ready? How many brought your Bibles tonight? Glory to God, it's good to be in this house. The devil's a liar and so is his boyfriend. And we're going to have church this week. Feels good. I came out of revival this morning. I just came from a tent meeting over in Gallup, New Mexico, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and uh, came home, and we had revival this morning, and then tonight back in Chandler. It's always good to be in Chandler. How many can feel faith tonight? Glory to God. If it gets any more exciting than this, I'm going to have to backslide to get to sleep at night. Acts chapter 19, if you have your Bible, Acts the 19th chapter. I've been uh, keeping up recently with the latest controversy in America, and that's the removal of the Ten Commandments from the Capitol building in the state of Alabama. I was wondering, I, was, uh, I thought about this, why is this such a controversy? Well, I want to tell you tonight that the Ten Commandments is a schoolmaster. How many know the Ten Commandments cannot save? But the Ten Commandments, the Bible says that that without the law, we wouldn't have known what sin was. And so every one of those perverts who read the Ten Commandments, immediately they are convicted about their sin. I thank God tonight for America. I thank God tonight, amen, for our Christian foundation. This is the generation where we desperately need a move of God. How many know tonight that this is a crisis time for our nation? The direction of our nation tonight hangs in the balance. And I've been listening. I've been keeping up with this controversy. I have a cousin that's working in the state capitol in Alabama. He uh, is the PR man for the governor, the first Republican governor since the Civil War. I want to tell you tonight that this is a symptom of what's happening in our country. I've come tonight to start a little revolution of my own. It's called a gospel revolution. It's time for the Christians to come out of the closet. You know what the problem is in our generation? The queers have come out of the closet and the Christians have gone in. I've come to tell you on the first night of this revival uh, that we're going to kick the devil right through the goalpost of life. We're going to start a revolution of our own tonight. One author wrote, he said, had you fallen asleep in the 1960s and awakened today, you would feel pleased at the cultural shift. You would be awakening, amen, first of all, to double divorce rate, triple teen suicide rate, quadruple rate of reported violent crime, quintupled, quintupled rather, prison population, 
sextuple, pardon the pun, percent of babies being born out of wedlock, sevenfold increase in cohabitation. That means living together de facto incognito sugar shack. The soaring rate of depression to 10 times the pre-World War II level by one estimate. We have yet to recover tonight from the 1960s. We have sown to the wind in this country, and now we're reaping the whirlwind. One writer said, a set of counterculture values embraced by an entire generation of young Americans in the 1960s and the 1970s has now become, in an effect, the established culture itself. What a fearful thing to think tonight that this has now become the establishment in America. The Bill Clintons and his ilk have literally ruined, can you say amen tonight, amen, as they advocate, amen, free sex, uh, immorality, and getting high. That's the generation that I was raised in tonight, and I want to tell you tonight, if there's ever a need for a revolution, we need a revolution in America, and how many know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? It's the gospel that's going to change the moral climate of this city. Oh, how we desperately need a revolution in America. I was pioneering a church uh, up in the Navajo Nation, 1990. I was in that little church on a Sunday morning. I'll never forget it. Meeting in a neutral hall, I preached up a storm. I didn't care if there was 12 or 1,200. I sweat through my shoes, and the more anointing I felt, the more I began to sweat, and I preached to those 13 people. I preached on the Holy Ghost. Now, you have to, you have to understand the environment here. Amen. You have to understand that the night before, they just had the aerobics class, and you could just smell the sweet aroma of Jesus there. There were paper wrappers on the floor, Tootsie Roll wrappers, lace potato chip wrappers. I thought to myself, why have an aerobic slash? You might as well just have an eating contest. You've never lived until you pioneered to work in a neutral location. We're moving equipment in and out of that place. But I preached that morning on the Holy Ghost and, and preached to the best of my ability. And I'm looking out at that deadly dozen, and it's like they're watching a tennis match. as I'm work, And they look so tired, and I was the one doing all the work. I gave an altar call, and the only one that came forward that morning, amen, was my 12-year-old daughter at the time. She said, Daddy, I want the Holy Ghost, and I want it this morning. And she broke down and began to cry, and I began to cry. I looked over her mother, and her mother's crying. The entire group's crying, and I laid hands on her. We had no catcher that morning. It was a linoleum floor, and when I laid hands on her, it was like the Holy Ghost hit her between the eyes with a two-by-six, and she hit the floor, and when she hit the floor, she began to speaking the most beautiful language that you've ever heard. And God spoke to me that morning. He said, what you're looking at on this floor is the seed of another revival that's coming to America. I believe it's coming. I see a change coming tonight. I believe America tonight can be changed. Listen to the words of William Booth. Here's a 100-year-old hymn. It's called Send the Fire. This is 100 years ago. God of Elijah, hear our cry. Send the fire. Make us fit to live or die. Send the fire today to burn out every trace of sin, to bring the light and glory in. The revolution now begin. Send the fire today. Here in the book of Acts chapter 19, 
Paul is stirring up a revolution. Acts chapter 19, amen, the Bible says in this passage before us, in verse 25, he called them together with the workers of similar occupation, said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed. We hope so. Whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. When Paul wanted to go in to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Let's pray tonight. Father, I'm asking tonight, by the Holy Ghost, you would move in this place. We desperately need your touch We have no confidence in our own flesh. We're asking God that you would move in this place, convict of sin, of righteousness, coming judgment, have right of way in this revival. Let this be a week of revolution. Change and transform, break the curse of drug addiction. Fill with the Holy Ghost, put marriages back together. I pray that you'd have right of way. Heal the sick. Let this night be a night of the miraculous and the supernatural. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' powerful name. And all of God's people said, amen. I want to consider with you, first of all, this evening, the fundamental principle of revolution. And the fundamental principle tonight of revolution is dedication to the cause. In 1 Samuel, we read about David. As a young boy, he went to the front lines. There was a battle line drawn between the Philistines and God's army. I've been to that place in 1994. I was there at the brook where David went down to the brook and found five smooth stones. You know why he found five smooth stones? One for Goliath and four more for his brothers. Who's first? Don't you love David's spirit? He comes up on this battle scene The army of God is intimidated by this nine-foot giant by the name of Goliath as he marches back and forth. And David, amen, as he comes upon the battle scene, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of God? And he made a very interesting statement. Is there not a cause? We have a cause tonight. George Failing said these words, We Christians have given Calvary to the communist. They accept deprivation and death to spread their gospel, while we Christians reject any gospel that does not major on healing and happiness. There is something greater than earthly life in this world. 
I'm talking about a dedication to a cause. Before I got saved, I was a full-on bona fide hippie. I hated the government. I disrespected any that were in authority tonight. And I was, I was uh, involved in a cause uh, to uh, cause anarchy and to stir up rebellion. But I'm glad to tell you that Jesus Christ uh, sent a move of God to this nation that swept uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast uh, and started a revolution of his own. I've got a cause tonight. Could I tell you the cause of mousy tongue is not the answer. How many know tonight, amen, that the answer to the world's problems, we have it tonight, and it's the powerful name of Jesus in that revival. I saw drug addicts, amen, heroin addicts, a 45-second cure after prayer. What a dedication to a cause is, is the conviction that something's terribly, terribly wrong with society. There's time to make some major changes. And that change must come tonight. This is what happened in the 1960s in America. Men like Timothy Leary. These were the heroes, the LSD-advocating Harvard professor who became the guru of the hippie movement. Here was his philosophy, turn on, tune in, and drop out. Translated, get loaded, amen, and free love. Here's the message. There's more to life than middle-class America. There's more to life than middle-class suburbia. You know what most Americans are dying from? They're dying from boredom because they have no cause. I want to tell you, most people are so bored in Utah. They are making more money than they've made their entire life in the state of Arizona. Amen. They're making more money in their life than they've ever made, but they're dying from boredom because materialism, hello out there, will never fulfill, amen, the need for a cause bigger than ourselves. I'm calling you tonight to a gospel revolution, and if we're going to be successful in this revolution, we must have a cause. We need a revolution of gospel fire. That's what we need. Jesus and his cause is right. And I want to tell you, we need to count the cost, hatch a plan, and take the plunge. This generation has become dissatisfied with life as it is for a good reason. In the gospel of Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone tonight, amen, among you, seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. I've been challenging our youth and our church that we need to start a revolution in the public school system. We don't need to back down. Here is a group of people, 2.7% of the population, not 10%. That's a lie from Hollywood. Only 2.7% maybe at the most of the population is homosexual and they're enforcing their agenda on 97% of the population. 
You know why? Because they are radical. They have an agenda. They are aggressive tonight. And here's the church all laid back, kicked back. Amen. People are going to hell in a handbasket tonight while the church yawns. Oh, I want to tell you tonight, we need to get a compassion for our generation. We need God to fill us with the Holy Ghost afresh tonight. We need a, we need a cause beyond ourselves and reach this generation. I love it when people call me on the phone and say, your people are down here preaching. We're going to call the police. I said, that's what I'd do. I'm pastoring in 1984 in the city of Santa Fe, New Mexico. We're having impact on the streets of that city. I'll never forget it. On a Sunday night, we had a tremendous service. God visited us in that building, and the next morning, about four o'clock in the morning, two vandals broke into our church, went through the church nursery, pulled out a big gas can and poured gas over the nursery, uh, all the cribs, and set the place on fire. They set a fire down the road, uh, set some hay on fire to divert the policemen so that our building would have more time to burn. I remember being in Flagstaff, starting revival, and the assistant called me on the phone in at 4 o'clock in the morning. He said, Pastor, the church is on fire. I said, thank God. Hallelujah. Thank God for the fire. I haven't had my first cup of coffee yet, and you're going to call me and talk to me? He said, no, not that kind of fire. The building's burning down. And I was trying to think back what I'd preached that Sunday. I preached on idolatry and homosexuality. Someone asked me, who do you think broke in and burned the building down? I said, a Catholic queer. And they thought by burning down the building that they could stop a move of God. You wish. We just moved out to the National Armory, amen, National Guard Armory. We moved to the college. We moved from place to place, amen. And while we're moving around, I had people call me on Saturday night and say, Pastor, where are we going to be tomorrow? I said, I don't know, but it's going to be good. We gathered 35 brand-new converts while we're moving around. We finally ended up in the Poco Loco Club at the Sheridan Hotel. They don't know it tonight. There's a piano in that, a beautiful grand piano. That piano has been saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. We had church in that place tonight. I said, devil, you're going to try to burn us out? Amen. You're not going to stop us. We put a half-page ad in the newspaper in Santa Fe, burned out but not stopped. We launched a church out of that bar. Paul knew what really mattered. He was a revolutionary with a cause. I was reading about Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. Along with three other American missionaries were martyred in 1956 by the Aka Indians in Ecuador. They recognized that life was far more meaningful, far more rich, far more significant than most of us ever realize. Listen to what he said. He wrote in his diary, Nate Saint wrote these words, people who do not know the Lord ask, why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries? They forget they too are expending their lives, and when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years that they have wasted. 
Yes, everyone's bubble will burst one day and the dust will return to dust and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. On that day, the only one thing that will really matter for you, did you fulfill the purpose of God? Did you make a lasting impact for Jesus? Did you leave behind a blessed legacy for the generation to come? The only thing that's going to change our society tonight is revolution. I'm not advocating Armed revolution. I'm not talking about taking up. I guess I am talking about taking up arms. Naaman, not M16s or AK-47, but John 316. We need to become aggressive in this thing. I told our young people, don't back down. You witness between classes uh, every opportunity that you have. uh, Amen. You tell people about Christ. uh, Don't buy into the lie that nothing can change. Uh, Your life cannot change. Your family, your society will always remain the same. Set your heart free uh, to dream holy dreams. Uh, I've got a dream tonight. God put under my fifth rib. The world didn't give it to me, and the world uh, can't take it away. I've got a dream for America. I've got got a dream for the neighborhood and the answer to the crack cocaine and the answer to the meth labs is not, a, not another dry out sinner. What we need is a Holy Ghost revival. God's doing it in our city. We have drug addicts getting saved. They make wonderful ushers. You ought to see these rascals. Wife's name is tattooed on their neck. Make you want to drop an offering in the offering plate too. John Wesley said, give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I will shake the world. We need a revival tonight. Mike Brown, an old hippie, a Jewish hippie that God saved in the Jesus movement from Brooklyn, New York. He said, think of the extreme measures people will take in the pursuit of sin, stealing and killing to support a drug habit, lying, deceiving, and conniving to pursue an affair, going to the ends of the earth to experience an elusive pleasure. How far should we go and what price should we pay in the pursuit of spiritual obedience and service? The devil really doesn't care what words are sung, what professions are made, as long as he gets the desired results. All to Satan, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. That's the kind of taskmaster he is. He's the one who's been fueling earth's age-old rebellion, inspiring countless godless revolutions, and he demands complete obedience from those he captures how loyal his followers are. I want to tell you, I used to give 150% to the devil. Isn't that right? We go all night, Friday night, all day Saturday and all day Sunday and go to work on Monday and never think a thing about it. We get saved. Amen. And many times when the church comes together, it's like the meeting of the VFW hall to come together and talk about what God used to do. That's one of the things that turned me off as a new convert, listening to the Pentecostals talk about what God used to do. But could I tell you that Jesus Christ is the same today? Amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many know the same God of the past is a reality tonight? He's still in the saving business. He's still filling with the Holy Ghost. He's still healing sick bodies tonight. He's still putting marriages back together. That's the God I serve. Are we having fun yet? We need a revolution. 
And to have a successful revolution, you have to have a cause. And tonight, we have the ultimate cause. Here's Bill Bright, 81 years of age, just passed away. Founder of the Campus Crusade for Christ International. Died July at the age of 81. Bright's two-and-a-half-hour memorial service in Orlando, Florida, was a virtual who's who of the Christian world. A leader after leader recounted how Bright had influenced his life. Listen to this. More than one person mentioned a contract that Bill Bright signed 50 years ago in which he made himself a slave to Christ. Perhaps this act of total surrender is what allowed God to trust him with an annual ministry budget of $450 million, as well as winning from the Templeton Award $1 million, every penny of which he donated to funding his ministry. In a day when self-promotion and greed are commonplace in the ministry, Bright was different. He lived an average middle-class lifestyle, modeled the Spirit of Christ even in the most ordinary things. Bill Bright was a revolutionary. Secondly, this evening, if we're going to have a successful revolution, we need to have the passion revolution. You know, it makes me nervous when people don't ever get their blood pressure up. I wonder if they're really breathing. I preached a whole sermon last week about being angry and sinning not. There's a holy indignation it ought to fill our hearts tonight to see our society in the, in the way in which it is tonight. It ought to stir us up to holy indignation saying, God, we need a change and we need a change tonight. And the, the passion of revolution is smashing the idols of our generation. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Do not intermarry with them. Don't let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters. They will lead your young people away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and he will destroy you. Instead, listen, you must break down their pagan altars, shatter their sacred pillars, cut down their Asherah and burn their idols. For you're a holy people who belong to the Lord your God of all the people on earth. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special and peculiar treasure. You look in Gideon's day. While Gideon's father slept, Gideon went to the high places, to the groves, and pulled down all the wooden idols and burned up the groves. That is always the mark, can you say, men, of revolution. In other words, all competing ideologies must be defeated and denounced, just like all successful revolts in history. Success depends on destroying and replacing ideologies. I was reading about Rachel Scott. Rachel Scott was a Columbine martyr. When those two young men went into a high school near Denver, Colorado, in Columbine High School, She wrote these words a few days before she died, wrote this in her diary, I have no personal friends at school. But you know what? I'm not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. I'm not going to justify my faith to them. I'm not going to hide the light that God has put into me. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. And she did. I will take it. If my friends have to become my enemies for me to be with my best friend, Jesus, then that's just fine with me. Would to God we had 150 people just like her. 
I've been telling our converts, you don't have to sit in the discipleship incubator for three years before you can testify. We wind them up at the altar, point them to the door, and tell them to witness to anything that breathes. And you know tonight, and some of you here have been a part of that new convert, insanity. But isn't it exciting? I'd rather have too much zeal and lack wisdom than to have rigor mortis set in. I preached in churches where the only difference between the cemetery and the church, the bodies, were setting up in chairs on Sunday morning. You'd have to reach up behind the ear to get a pulse. Many were cold and a few were frozen. They were saved, sanctified, and fossilized. We tell those new converts, you go tell everybody you know what Jesus has done for you. And lo and behold, they go grab people, bring them to the house of God. Don't you love it? The inspiration of our church, the cutting edge is the new blood that God is bringing into that church. I love to fellowship with these new converts. How many enjoy it when you go out and fellowship with them? You ask them to pray over the meal. They pray for the meal and they pray for all the waiters, the waitresses, the cooks. I said, brother, just pray for the food. I'm hungry. Oh, God, I bind every devil in this restaurant. Save the owner and the cooks. And they start praying for all of our missionaries in Africa. I said, brother, just let's eat. I can still remember being in Flagstaff with a couple of new converts were out fellowshipping. Amen. And a young man jumped up on the table, took the bottle of ketchup, squeezed it on the front of his shirt. Amen. The ketchup's running off of his white shirt and begins to scream, it's the blood, it's the blood, it's the blood. And they threw us out of the restaurant. And then Wednesday night we had testimony service. And one of the guys stood up and talked about how we've been persecuted for the Lord. I want to tell you, idols need to look out because this is the passion of revolution. And the first idol we need to tear down tonight, we need to smash the idol of addiction to entertainment. Americans are obsessed with idolatrous and polluting entertainment. Entertainment is suffocating and strangling the church's impact in America, and the content of our entertainment is almost frightening. Listen to me tonight. It hasn't always been this way. We have been seduced by graphic, high-tech images of violence, sex, and the occult, and the graphics are so real, it blurs the distinction between a video game and reality, and people begin to act out what they're seeing. Entertainment has become a foreign god. We need to smash it tonight. If entertainment is an idol in your life, smash it. Live without it for a few months. Quit wasting tonight endless hours a month ingesting deadly poison every week. You'd be surprised what would happen to your spiritual life if you would starve out that idol. Kill that one-eyed demon. Well, I do it to get relaxed. What a generation of weenies. I can't come every night of this revival because I might burn out. Now, the only thing we're burning out on is selfishness. Are you with me? Can you imagine coming to revival tonight and just getting too much? Can't come back tomorrow night because I might burn out? I pray to God you get an overdose. I pray tonight that you leave the service under the influence. If a highway patrolman would pull you over, you'd have to fill out the ticket in tongues. If a mosquito, 
if a mosquito which had Nile virus, amen, plunged its, amen, in, into your skin, amen. He'd go off saying there's power in the blood. We have to be entertained, and the church is bought into it. To get a crowd out, you have to have the singing Christmas tree and live camels in your Easter play, and all you're going to get is poo-poo on your platform. <laughs> Laser light shows, trained dog acts. You ever read the Bible, sir? No, but I've seen the movie. It was powerful. That's America. Second idol we need to break tonight is the idol of obsession with sports. Now it's going to get really nervous in here. Our entire culture virtually revolves around sports. You know, people in, in our churches, one of the greatest idols of our day, we, we live for it. We're depressed for days when the home team loses. We're elated for weeks when they win. In many cities in America, Sunday service must end promptly at noon, lest they conflict with the NFL game starting at 1.30. There was one Dallas church a number of years ago, and it's been a long number of years. Dallas was in the playoff for the Super Bowl, but they're coming back. God help them. Here's a Baptist pastor preaching. I read about it. 11.45, about two-thirds of his church gets up and heads for the exits. Because they changed the time of the playoff game with the Philadelphia Eagles. And the article said he was screaming at us. They're leaving the building. He's vituperating on these people. You carnal, low life. And I said, I can relate to that preacher. I'd like to take that preacher out to a chicken dinner. But it's only a game, Pastor, really. No one gets paid $6 million a year to play only a game. No one schedules church services around only a game. No one is uh, uh, vilified by the press for losing only. No player shooting another player. That's just a game. Becoming an idol and an obsession, and the Christian world buys right into it. And we even have our own theology in the church today of sports. We believe that the more Christian athletes a team has, the more the team will win. Maybe God wants your team to lose to teach you something. Well, it's getting quiet in here now. So I believe in sports. You can walk into my office, it's like stepping into the Sooner Nation. God bless Oklahoma. I love to have fun. I love to play. I love to watch and to follow. But I do all these things, but I believe it's gotten out of hand in our society. When you can get people at the Utah Jazz Games, they're hyperventilating, falling out of the stands. They have to bring in oxygen to bring them back. And then they're screaming and hollering on Saturday night. And then they come to church on Sunday morning and sit there like wooden Indians. They'll paint their faces two different colors, spray paint their hair rainbow, and they call that being a fan. 
And then you come into the house of God, get beside yourself in the service of the Lord. Amen. When you hear the syncopated sound of a Hammond organ and the bass begin, and you get excited in the house of God, and you get really Pentecostal in this revival, and they call you a fanatic. We need to smash the idol, thirdly, of worldly fashion. So I'm just going to be here for a few days. I want to hit you and run. Many Christian men worship the idol of sports, but many Christian women worship the idol of fashion. How many know there's a, quite a difference between Christian femininity and worldly sensuality? 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, Dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. You're saying, Pastor, is God against wearing nice clothes? Absolutely not. But he really does have a problem with provocative clothing. First Peter chapter 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair, the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be uh, that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. How unbiblical and ungodly when women who call Jesus as Lord cast off his lordship in their dress. God's house should be a sanctuary. Can you say amen tonight? Richard Wormbrandt who spent several years in a Romanian prison preaching the gospel. He said these words, In the free world, after coming out of prison, attending churches, I sometimes say to myself, if the day of God's judgment were a fashion show, many in this congregation would be saved. My question is, why should brothers in the church service have to guard their eyes because of the dress of their Christian sisters. You know, it's one thing to welcome sinners in our midst. We have people in our church, thank God, they're learning how to put on clothes. It's a great thing. We reach some real sinners. I pastor real people. And I love it when a pastor calls me on the phone and says, Preacher, we're going to send a couple over to your church. They're more your type. I said, they're addicted to drugs? Yes. They're broke? Yeah. Send them on over. They come into our church, get saved, delivered from drugs, and then restored back to society. And then every religious group in town is now interested in these converts. It's too bad you weren't interested in them before they came into here. All messed up. It's amazing how many people got saved after I got saved. Started to give my testimony. Everybody became a Christian. I said, you weren't a Christian the other night when we were at that party telling those foul jokes. You weren't a Christian the other night when we were all getting loaded. But now I get saved and cleaned up and have some sanctification. We get born again and we learn how to put on a bra. And then every church in town is now interested in recruiting us over into their sin. You know, the other night I was in church and three Orientals walked through the back door and God said to me, they're Moonies. Just as soon as they stepped in the door, oh, what a surprise they got at the altar. You mess with these new converts and I'll lay hands on you suddenly and plead the blood on your lip. 
I said, are you with Sung Young Moon? They wanted to greet me into the unity meeting they were going to have over in, in Salt Lake. I said, are you with Sung Young Moon? Well, we work with Sung Young Moon. I said, you hit that door. You see that door back there? I want all three of you to move down this aisle as fast as you can run. And you hit that door, I'm going to call the police. You understand me? And you better pray the police respond real quick. Because we've got several ex-convicted felons here that might just backslide for about five minutes. And I... I know if they backslide, we always have an altar. They can come back and get right with God. We need revival tonight. We need a revolution. It's one thing to welcome sinners into our midst no matter how they look or smell. But it's a totally... Another thing for women who've been saved for years to strive to be sensual, to draw attention to the viewing pleasure of the opposite sex. I've told women in my church, when you come to the altar to pray with folks, make sure you don't have a slit up the side of your dress that we can see all the way to San Jose, California. I said, my dear sister, you could have only gotten to those pants in one of two ways. You either jumped out of a two-story building to get into them, or you painted them on one or the other. But you're going to wag right out here, wag right out the door, and put on something decent. It's an idol. We spend more time before a mirror, amen, trying to make ourselves presentable to a world that hates us in the first place than we do in prayer in the morning. Boy, this is good preaching. I'm going to keep on preaching anyhow. I feel revolution about to take place here. Thirdly tonight, God's strategy for six successful revolution is the Great Commission battle plan. We're going to have church this week. I said we're going to have church this week. Proverbs 20, verse 18, make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. Proverbs 24, 6, for waging war, you need guidance. And for victory, many advisors. One writer said, such a radicalized church taking its discipleship with joyful seriousness will be a revolutionary catalyst in society. Imagine the power of a fellowship composed of such revolutionaries. Imagine. I'm sitting in a building tonight, amen, with radical disciples that are on fire for God. Let me tell you tonight, I didn't come this week to bring revival to this church. Revival's already here. I came tonight to throw kerosene on the fire. I've come to fan the flame and tell you that you're on track tonight. Ten brand new churches launched out of this conference. I announced it to my church, and they came in glued. They came up out of their seats, standing ovation for the Chandler Conference, and not even part of this conference. But we have the same spirit, and we're going to take our city for God. I said we're going to take our city for God. We're in a conflict tonight. I had a 12-year-old boy get shot and killed last year, shot in the temple, taken out of this world. And thank God, two weeks before, we opened up a children's church, and he answered an altar call and got saved. Amen. A, a gang fight that went away. A bullet traveled, a 30-06 bullet traveled two and a half blocks and killed this little boy right in front of my wife. It looked like a war zone, friend. Thank God for this couple, one of the finest couples I have in that church. It's James Martinez's brother Joe, and he and Laura, 
amen, go on TV in the state of Utah and testify about the grace of God. They're calling me on the phone, the police department, the police chief is crying on the phone. Let me tell you, it shook the foundation of our city. Out of that little boy's death, over 200 people came to Christ. We had the viewing of the body. On a, on a Thursday night, I believe it was, and 350 people came in to view the body and sat down. I leaned over to James. I said, James, we've got a captive audience preach, man. Usually they just pass through and go out the door. They sat down in our building. The, the community was so shocked. He got up and preached that night, and 33 people came running down to the altar and knelt by the body to get saved. The next morning we had the funeral. I preached again. His entire seventh grade class came down and knelt by the casket. Amen. We're born again. I drove by the cemetery the other day. I looked at the plaque on his tomb. I saw that plaque. It said, Beloved Son and Brother and Evangelist. And the most effective evangelist that we have in our city is that little boy. And he told his mother, he said, I always felt like God called me to be an evangelist. We're talking about serious business, folks. If we're going to have a strategy for successful revolution, we must keep our vision clear. That means we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, if God's called you to do a march for Jesus around your park, go for it. He hasn't called me to have an ecumenical meeting with all the fundamentalists in town. If that's what God's called you to do, get on with it. I'm too busy. We're too busy on the streets preaching. Last Saturday night, I was out on the street with our group. Seventy-five people came out to, for a street meeting. They're street preaching. We put a bloody cross on the corner of 25th Street, downtown across from the temple. Right across the street from the LSD tem- I mean LDS temple. <laughs> Put him up there and dressed a man up, a young man in our church dressed up like a Mormon elder. Another guy dressed up like a cholo, and they pulled out whips and began to beat Jesus. I didn't put this together. This is something they came up with. We began to street preach, and nine people responded to the gospel. The police pulled up. I said, oh, boy, this is going to be fun. The cops pulled up and said, keep on preaching. We got your back. Just keep on preaching. But, but we would just ask you if you would just quit beating Jesus for a few minutes, please. Because we're getting complaints. You cannot have a revolution until you have some enemies to destroy. We're not just fighting to fight. We don't just get worked up to just get worked up. We're living tonight with purpose. We're in a serious conflict. We have some opposition, but how many know that we can triumph? For this reason was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil tonight. And secondly, we must establish bases. These are local churches. These are prayer bases, training bases, and sending bases. Al-Qaeda has nothing on the church tonight. And can I tell you that Islam is not the fastest growing movement in the world? I'd like to serve notice on Louis Farrakhan tonight. Amen. That the fastest growing movement in the world is not Islam. The fastest growing movement is Holy Ghost revival. 50,000 are being filled with the Holy Ghost every day around the world. Jesus is coming back. And the next great prophetic event is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost before he comes back. And it's happening right now. We need the Holy Ghost tonight. I said, we need the Holy Ghost tonight. 
The one guaranteed way to lose the battle is to retreat. The base must never become a resort. My God, help us tonight. As I look at the church world, they're so apathetic and so laid back, so kicked back. Amen. You got to have an espresso shop, you know, on the entrance of the hall in the church. The right color of carpet. The building has to be in the right place in our city near, you know, the interstate. And they tell you all the things that you have to do, like you're running a corporation. This is not a corporation. This is not a club. This is not the Masonic Lodge, the shrine. This is not the moose that got loose club. This is not the Kiwanis of the lions. This is the church of the living God. And when Jesus comes back, he's not going to come back for a weak, anemic church. He's coming back for a church tonight that's on fire for God. He said, occupy till I come. That doesn't mean you sit in your lazy boy and wait for him to come back. Someone said, you can't go like that all the time. I've had people warn me, you can't go all the time like that. You can't live on the edge, but I'm sure going to try. I would rather burn out than rust out. Hello out there. Third thing we need to do, we must propagate the message. I'm bringing this to a quick close. You don't have to look at your watch anymore. It's 10 to 8. <laughs> Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We do this through the spoken word, books, pamphlets, tracks, tapes, videos, and etc. Can I tell you that history is filled with this one book, one document, one speech, bringing a large-scale upheaval? Martin Luther, his 95, 95 thesis on the Christian life and Christian history, he nailed it, amen, to the front door of the Catholic Church. It started a reformation. Harriet Beecher Stowe's book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, when Abraham Lincoln met this little black woman for the first time, stood about five feet tall. He said, oh, so you're the woman that started this war. One book. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Every time I hear it, it moves me. I'm looking at video clips on CNN the other night and gathered on the steps of Washington, D.C. were families. This wasn't a black Muslim movement. Later for your bow ties and bean pies. Hit the road, Jack, and don't come back because we're coming to take our cities back for Jesus tonight. 1970s Khomeini overthrew the Shah of Iran by means of taped messages. We must propagate the message, and lastly, in closing, we must go on the attack and refuse to quit. That's why so many of us tonight are defeated. We live in the retreat mode. That is not the gospel away. We retreat from conflict. We retreat from confrontation. We retreat from rejection and from revolution. But I want to tell you that cowards and unbelievers have their place in the lake of fire which burns, whereas in heaven it's going to be populated by conquerors and believers. Listen, Jesus is our example, and he is anything but a coward tonight. God's putting some backbone in the church. I feel like going out and starting something tonight, getting hearing for the gospel. Do something radical. Romans 8, 37, in all these things, namely trouble, hardship, persecution, or famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The words coward and Jesus are no more related than the words God and sin. One dictionary of the New Testament Greek noted, in some languages, a coward, as in Revelations 21.8, is one who always runs, one who runs away at nothing. God said, God has not given us the spirit of cowardice or timidity, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I want to close. Brother Andrew used to smuggle Bibles into China and into Russia. I love this. He said these words, our Lord said go. He said nothing about coming back. There are no closed doors to the gospel provided that once you go through the door, you don't care whether you come back out. Oswald Smith, the supreme task of the church is to evangelize the world. And Carl Henry said the gospel is good news only if it arrives in time. If it arrives in time. What are we waiting for? Let's start a revolution in our cities. I said, let's start a revolution. Oh, we were, some of us were much more exciting before we got saved. We take dope. You take reach over and I take some. I wonder what this will do. Just a fool. We get obnoxious and loud going to a gathering of people and try to start a fight? Are you with me? Burn ourselves out because we had a cause driven by a spirit of rebellion. And now tonight God has saved us, washed us in His precious blood, and we have the answer to the world tonight. I said we have an answer to the world tonight. There's nothing like radical revolutionary conversion. That's what I'm looking for. Later for people coming down and crying crocodile tears because they got caught. Well, I could turn on the tears when I got caught. And you could too. Some of you had your own drama team before you joined the drama team. (laughs) Tell the police, just take me home to mama and I won't do it again. They drop you off on the front steps. You go down the hallway, out the back door, and on the street again. Because those weren't tears of repentance. Those were tears of remorse. Sometimes the back door of the church is bigger than the front door. We need to come down tonight, make up our mind. We're going to serve God, get on fire for God. Quit playing church. Well, I was hurt. I was wounded. Whoopee. I've been wounded and hurt all my life, but I've learned how to forgive and go on. I don't have time to be distracted. We've got a vision tonight, and that vision is to touch our world for God. I want us to bow our heads. Our heads are bowed. Eyes are closed in the presence of God tonight. I'm talking about a gospel revolution that will change the moral climate of our city. I was saved in a revolution. That revolution was so radical Young people were were coming to Christ just like they are at this present time, getting on fire for God. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? 
make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.